Hey, welcome again to another Devo with Patrick and Jamie. Today, we are continuing our series, Rules for the Road. Patrick, have you gone on any epic road trips lately? Oh, not lately. Nothing that's really far. The only road trippy kind of things I've done is I drove down to a truck trail that's down in Otay Mesa, California. And uh, mm. that was pretty fun, you know, did some off-roading and uh, in the old, my old beat up truck and saw some cool sights, an abandoned World War II building. That was pretty cool. Uh, wow. To get a look inside of that, that brought amazing. the dog and he loved it and then drove home. That was it. So small road so, trips. So let me ask you, let me ask you this question. How long or how far do you have to drive for it to be considered a road trip. Well, I think that's different from person to person. I don't know if there's a huh. a defined definition of road trip. I guess in my opinion, if you like spend all day driving to get to a destination or like half the day to get there, you spend some time at the des- destination and then half the day to get home, I would say that's a, a mini road trip. But, you know, true road trips is, you know, you're on the road multiple days, multiple stops. You're trying to get somewhere, it might take a while. I think that's the true road trip. Yeah, I just remember when I was a kid, we would go on road trips. And my dad and my mom had some of the worst cars, like, ever. Like, literally, their cars oh, were man. the worst. Uh, one of the cars we used to road trip in was, like, a 1970-something uh, Pinto, Ford Pinto. The car was famous for exploding if it got rear-ended. Whoa. Um, That was its, uh, which thankfully ours never exploded. I'm still here today. But we would go on these road trips, and part of the preparation for the road trips was bringing a box of tools because your car was going to break down. That was just, like, how it went. So you'd bring, like, extra, like, coolant and water for the radiator, and you had to bring, like, extra oil and, like, you know, rolls and rolls of duct tape to put the car back together. Um, and that was just a part of going on a road trip. Now it's like you hop in your, you know, your hybrid car and you zoom across the country and don't even think about it. I think for me, I'd even jump in my old beat up truck and drive across the country and not really think about it. And my truck doesn't go fast. Yeah. You're like, is, is there gas in it? And are, are none of the weird lights on the dash on? Hey, we're good. I, Let's well, keep going. I mean, for me, it's the three light rule. If two are on, you're fine. <laughs> If three turn on, okay, you got to better, you better assess what's going on. <laughs> the throw, okay. All right. It's like strikes in baseball, three strikes and you need to get out. You need to go off the road and yeah. figure out what's wrong. Yeah, like I'm gonna... Two, you're good. Patrick, you may want to check in on, uh, on that idea, but it's fine. We're I'm, all good. I'm going to derail this a little bit longer. The, the seatbelt light <laughs> in my truck, the, the seatbelt sensor broke. Okay. And so when okay. I click, click my seatbelt, the dash thinks I don't have my seatbelt on. And so the right. light was there and the light was on for so long, it burnt out. <laughs> <laughs> and same with the like parking wow. brake light too. That one doesn't work anymore either, but I don't really know why. Um, it's questionable if any of the dash lights work, to be honest with you. Um, the check engine light could be on and I just don't know, but you know, no lights is, means it's good. So I just listen yeah, I for guess. the weird noise. No lights means go, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, oh man. Hey, anyone out there who has a better car for Patrick, uh, feel free to send it his way. But, uh, yeah, if it's, if it's <laughs> I free, think he likes the truck he has. 
yeah, it gets me from point A to point B. That's all that really matters. And it's all safe. Right. So, all right, well, let's, let's stop talking about cars and let's start talking about Jesus. Because hey, today there we go. Because <laughs> today we're checking out Jesus doing a little, uh, in only Jesus's way, traveling. He's not on the road mm. today. He's out on oh. the water. He's out on the lake. And we're going to talk about Jesus walking on water. So if you're following Whoa. along with your Bible, go ahead and open up to the gospel of John. We're going to be out of, out of chapter six, and we're going to look at verses 16 through 21. All right, here we go. Starting at verse 16, it says this. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There, there we go. You know, it, it's, uh, it's pretty funny to watch someone try to walk on water. Oh, yeah. Have you ever seen anyone try to walk on water? Oh, I mean, as a kid, I would I would try all the time. I think the closest I've ever gotten to walking on water was barefoot water skiing. That's true. That, and how fast do you have to go on a boat for that to work? You have to go about, you have to go like, pretty fast, right? 45 to 55 miles Ooh, an hour. That's that's <laughs> that's pretty that's pretty fast on a boat. Yeah, it's pretty fast over water too. But I don't think Jesus was booking. I think he was out for a casual stroll. And mm. have you seen the videos of the lizards that run on water? They get their legs all all like up in the I air. have. Those are I don't think Jesus looked like that either. And then they get their 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 legs are just kind of like do almost like flippers. They're just flying and their tails are still kind of on the water. And then their yeah. front hands are just kind of sitting there doing nothing. Right. Yeah. So let's let's uh let's dissect this passage a little bit because it's just a oh, good wow, story, okay. but I think that there's some deeper meanings that we can kind of discuss. Starting at the top, when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. I already have some questions of this. Like right away I have questions. Uh one is why are his disciples getting into the boat without him? Did they forget him? Like, what's going on? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe the Jesus sent his disciples ahead and said, I'm going to catch up later because it says Jesus had not yet joined them. So it seems like the disciples maybe knew what was going on, uh, that Jesus wasn't with them. But uh, it's very strange that they left without him. Yeah, that is, that is a good question. It, uh, apparently in Mark, it tells us that Jesus had gone off in the same story. Mark's version tells us that Jesus had left them and went to pray. So he was off praying. John doesn't mention this detail. doesn't mention that exactly, but that kind of would make sense. You know, Jesus goes off to pray. And so the disciples are like, all right, yeah, we're going to go continue on with what we're doing. Cause we're not sure how long he's going to be praying. Well, that's kind of rude. To leave someone while they're praying. I would think so. The disciples, they're in their boat. They're at the lake. They start to go across the lake in their boat. And then verse 18, a strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. Now, 
I've been in a boat in some rough, rough, rough waters. Uh, okay. But, you know, I've only ever been in modern boats in rough waters. Ne- never like, uh, you know, I would imagine they're like in a sailboat or a rowboat or something like that. And it was probably way more intense than, yeah. than like anything I've probably ever experienced. You know, I did a while ago. I did a little uh, just reading into like what kind of boats that these people used, and uh, back in this era, because I guess at some point they actually had excavated a boat from um, from this time, from the first century, and they're pretty big. Like they're probably like twenty, twenty five feet long, probably something like seven feet across. Which, if you think about that, that's like that's not like a little boat. That's like pretty decently big. And then they're probably something like four feet uh, deep, basically, if that's how you want to think about it, right? In other passages, like when Jesus um, calms the wind and the waves, uh, in that passage in particular, we hear that the waves are coming up over the water, meaning the waves that are, the wind is blowing the waves to be something like, you know, four feet or more. They're splashing up over the boat. Yeah, that's pretty intense. Like that's a big wave, especially when you're on a lake. You know. Yeah, yeah. This you know, is, lake- these aren't ocean waves. These are lake wind waves. Yeah, and the the thing that's different that most people don't recognize about lake wind waves is that. Uh, in the ocean waves kind of come and it's like a big wave. And then maybe a few minutes later, there's another big wave, but in lakes, big waves are constant. It's just every 10 seconds, boom, big wave, boom, big wave. And because of the size of the lake and wind waves, that's like how they are. So I can't imagine. And also like four foot wave, I kind of say that and think, Oh, that's not too bad. That's not too intense, but a four foot wave can pack a punch. You know, if yeah. you're standing on the beach and a four foot wave of water hits you, it might knock you off your feet. Or if you think about it like this, maybe some of you have been in boats before. And if you're on a nice, cool, calm, no wind surface, you can go really fast in those boats, right? Like you can right. just cut through it. But as soon as even a little bit of wind comes across and you get a little bit of chop on the water, that can like really mess you up. Granted, these guys aren't going 55 miles an hour. Peter's not, uh, you know, out there walking on the water. I mean, eventually he does, but uh, he, you know, they're not trying to go 45 or 50. They're just getting across the lake. Right. So verse 19, you know, they row, they're rowing for a while. I don't know how long it would take him to row three or four miles, like it says. That, and then that they sounds like, like a lot to me. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of rowing. And they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on water, and they were frightened. Well, I get why they were frightened. That'd be pretty freaky to see. Now, I think it's important for us to note, right? It's dark. They're out rowing and they're in a storm. Yeah. And so when you're out there rowing in the storm, you're probably like a mixture of like, you know, sweat from rowing. Right. And also, uh, you know, all the wind and the waves blowing on you, you're like kind of probably a mess. I doubt you're able to see a whole lot. My guess is they probably weren't uh, dealing with, you know, they didn't have like LED lights on the front of this boat. My guess would be they would just be rowing at night, trying to look up to see the stars 
or to look for landmarks or something to know which direction to row in. But if you've ever rowed a boat, you know how hard that is, like physically exhausting. In fact, if you've ever even gone to the gym and go on that rowing machine and set that thing up and go for a few minutes, it will destroy you. Right. There's just something about rowing that really takes like all of your energy and all of your effort. And these guys have taken this big boat three or four miles. Uh, So they're physically exhausted. They're tired because it's dark. It's evening. It's late. And they're probably they're probably frustrated. You know, emotionally, they're probably not in a great place. I wouldn't imagine that. And they're in the darkness. Jesus is approaching the boat. He's not at the boat. He's approaching the boat. That to me, just that image in my head is freaky. I mean, the way it's worded, it makes it seem like the disciples knew that it was Jesus. But at the same time, I I don't know. It seems like, you know, they are frightened and Jesus immediately says, he says right away when he shows up, it is I, don't be afraid. I mean, it kind of could go both ways. But even if they saw that and knew exactly who he was, it would still be like a, a weird, freaky experience. Definitely. And the other yeah. thing is, you know, about rowing that I think most people don't realize too, unless you've been rowing before is r- when you're rowing and trying to get somewhere, if you stop rowing, you're not going to glide very far. Rowing is one of those things <laughs> right. where you have to like constantly be moving and in a windstorm. it's even more important because if you stop rowing, you're going to drift fast and you're going to get out of line or the boat's going to change direction. So these disciples were probably extremely tired because they couldn't stop for three or four miles. They couldn't risk that. So then Jesus shows up and he says, it is I don't be afraid. And like you said, Patrick, I think in other gospels, the account of this, they do question who it is and they think is this a ghost oh yeah like is this is this not jesus this must be a ghost which is why jesus response seems so fitting he's like no it's i it's me right yeah and it's the response that jesus has uh also is he's not saying it's me jesus He's like trusting that the disciples will know that just by him saying it is I, the sound of his voice, probably the way he said it as well, that they will know that it is actually him. Because again, it is dark. Uh, It's windy. It's stormy. So visibility is probably low. But Jesus had the confidence in the disciples that he didn't even need to address who he was. He just needed to say it is I. You know, it's interesting because we probably have to look at this and think, well, what does it mean that someone can walk on the water? Does it mean that they're not real? Does it mean that they're super light? Does it mean that they're super agile? Does it mean that they have power over the water? Does it mean that they're like some kind of a weird, you know, powerful spiritual being? You know, I, it it's always fascinating to watch people surf uh, because it looks like they're walking on the water. Right. Uh, it looks like they're, you know, up on the waves and it right. looks like they have control of the waves. But Patrick, as you know, better than anyone, uh, especially better than anyone on this Diva conversation, you're not controlling the wave when you're surfing. Oh, yeah. And it's taken scientists and uh, professionals years and years and years to perfect the perfect machine made wave. It's so... 
everything that I've seen is not even comparable to an ocean wave. And it just goes to show that the power of waves can't really be controlled, even in like a man-made uh, setting with machines and, you know, special design surfaces underwater and stuff like that. You can't make a wave that's equivalent yeah. to an ocean wave. And to understand water and waves and how it works is super complicated. My brother, when he was in high school, decided to do a project where he would make his own bodyboard. And so in order to do that, he had to interview someone who was an expert. And so our friend's dad was actually an oceanographer and had a master's degree in physics and a PhD in oceanography. And he worked at uh, Scripps Institute of Oceanography. And so he went to him and went to like basically ask him like, well, how do you know, how does water move? And, and, you know, how could I design this board better based on hydrodynamics or, you know, how water moves. And, uh, the first thing that this guy said was, we don't understand hydrodynamics very well. Like science hasn't really figured it out all that well because it's Mm. super complicated and it takes a lot of study. Whereas aerodynamics, we've done a decent job with, I guess, uh, in terms of, you know, making things glide through air, making things glide through water. We haven't really figured that stuff out as well. And this guy's job for a long time was tracking currents in, uh, in the oceans. Wow. And so, yeah. And so, uh, he, he was talking about that and that just reminded me, man, for us to understand water, to have control over water is like super hard. Right. Uh, Super difficult. We can't do it. But here's Jesus who's like, bam, done it. Yeah. He's walking on water in the midst of strong winds, uh, in the midst of waves. Right. Like it's nothing. But then, you know, it's also crazy. Jesus does something else that I think is overlooked in verse 21 that only Jesus could do. Now, I've done a little research on this. So this is... Hang in there for this wild explanation. Oh, good. I'm excited. Verse 21, it says, Then they were willing to take him into the boat after Jesus said, It is I. Don't be afraid. They're willing to invite him into the boat. One, I don't know why the disciples didn't do that, like, from the beginning. Anyway, (laughs) the second part, And immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Now, the they because it says they traveled set off across the lake for Capernaum. We can kind of assume that they are traveling across the sea of Galilee, just knowing where Capernaum is. And if they're going across the distance would be about 8.1 miles from Capernaum to the other side where we can kind of assume where they're going. So it said that they had rode about three or four miles. So about halfway and Jesus got in the boat and they got the other half immediately. I think that Jesus, who obviously had a way better understanding of water than anyone ever alive, worked his magic and got the boat through all the way immediately. He just did whatever he did because I think he probably recognized it's late. Like we said, the disciples are burned out. They're tired. They've been awake all day. And he's like, you know, these guys, they're freaked out now on top of everything else. They just need a break. And he got the boat the other half of the way immediately. Crazy. Yeah. It shows his true power uh, to to tame the water, to walk on the water, to control a boat on the water. Uh, absolutely amazing. 
And to teleport. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, teleport, right? right. <laughs> Crazy. In fact, later on we hear in scripture that Jesus teleports. Um, I know that sounds weird, but uh, there's a couple instances in scripture where people um, are able to go from one place to another in a really quick fashion. You know, Jesus kind of like walks through walls. Mm-hmm. Um, after the resurrection, he shows up and it's kind of a, a crazy thing. But also, um, Philip, I think when he's talking to the Ethiopian in the book of Acts, uh, he disappears. He, he mm-hmm. like does this whole like boop transfer from one place to the other. And people see that as a miracle. Now I've never seen someone do that before. Um, my kids in my house, uh, they say that our cat teleports. Oh. Uh, because our cat out of nowhere will just show up and you're like, wait, where did you come from? <laughs> I think she's more sneaking around. It's not really teleportation, but right. they call it teleportation. Uh, yeah. But yeah, Jesus has the power. And this is like an example of Jesus having the power. Now, it, it means something. In the book of Job, in my, my Bible, there's a little note that has Job 9.8. And Job 9.8 says, He alone stretches out the heavens and hmm. treads on the waves of the sea. Whoa. Um, and this is talking about God, uh, saying God alone is the one who has stretched out the heavens, who's made the heavens, and uh-huh. who has the ability to tread or to step on the waves of the sea. Now, hmm. the waves of the sea, even from the beginning of kind of human understanding, the sea has been something that has had to be sort of not, maybe not tamed, but you have to be careful with it because the sea represents chaos. The sea represents like lack of safety. You know, if you're out on the ocean in the sea, uh, there's so much you need just to be safe. Right. And all it takes is one storm or one, you know, like the Titanic, right? One iceberg. (laughs) And all of a sudden, like you don't have control anymore. You don't have power anymore. And Jesus here is showing that he's the one who has the ultimate power and the ultimate control. Right. And for me, what makes this passage, I mean, it's really cool to see like, wow, he was able to do this. He was able to do that. But it's like, I have to remember too, that this is the same Jesus that I've like invited into my heart and like accepted as my Lord and savior. The same guy who is like super cool walking on water is the same person that I pray to every day that I like will proclaim as my Lord and savior. And that's just a really cool, um, Amen. really cool, uh, connection for me. That's absolutely spot on, man. You know, the Holy spirit dwells inside of us and the, through the power of the Holy spirit, um, you know, it, it actually says something really interesting in scripture that Jesus emptied himself. Jesus in this is out of Philippians chapter two, Jesus empties himself. He sort of pours out his like, special abilities and powers uh, in order to become a man, in order mm. to, to be incarnate in the flesh, to live on earth with us. And so Jesus gave all that up. And so his living in his life, like he did perform miracles, but he did so through the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And that is an amazing thing. Uh, yeah. And it's really hard to understand. It doesn't always quite make sense. But the cool thing, like Patrick, you said is, God lives in us. We invite Jesus into our heart. We invite the Holy Spirit into our lives. And because of that, we too can have this Holy Spirit work happening through us when we are obedient to God's spirit and obedient to God's word and obedient to Jesus' call in our lives. And we can see amazing things happen. You know, the spirit is alive and working and 
I'll just say this. It wasn't every day that Jesus walked on water. It wasn't every day that Jesus teleported boats, but Jesus being obedient to the spirit, it was like pretty frequently during his ministry that the Holy Spirit was moving and working. And uh, I just want to throw that out there for people who are thinking like, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. Like, I think that's a good idea. Yeah, I have Jesus in my life, but I don't see anything happening, happening around me. I would say, stop where you're at. You know, you're on this journey. Stop where you're at. Invite Jesus in, right? Invite him onto that boat and watch what happens. Because the cool thing is, is the miracle here. Um, yes, Jesus walks on water. Jesus is God. God's going to do God amazing stuff. But the cool thing is, as soon as these guys invite God into their boat, all of a sudden they're swept up in the miracle too. Mm. And they're pulled to the other side of the shore. Right. So I think, Pat, that might be a good rule for our road here on this series is uh, invite Jesus into the boat. Whatever journey you're on, man, invite Jesus in. Yeah, if it's your car, your boat, your whatever else, your skateboard, if you're on a journey, you know, invite Christ with you because you never know what he's going to do while you're on your journey. That's it. And if God does magically teleport you uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, let us know. That'd be really helpful <laughs> to hear send about. Us an email. Um, that would be encouraging for everyone and maybe a little terrifying, but maybe encouraging too. Uh, And uh, we hopefully will see you guys uh, on the road.